Well, good morning. My name is Peter. Uh, whether you are joining us here at one of our campuses or online today, we are just delighted that we get to join together in worshiping our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen? What do you love about Jesus? I imagine if we went around right now and tried to answer that question for ourselves, we could come up with quite a list. We love his mercy, don't we? We love the fact that when I mess up, there is grace and forgiveness and more grace and forgiveness and more grace and forgiveness, right? I don't know about you, but I love the part that when he goes to the religious leaders and they try to trap him in his words, he would just flip it around on them like it was some kind of sleight of hand. For, for many of us, we love his parables. We love the words that he would teach and the message that he gave us, not to mention the cross, right? Jesus bridging the gap between a holy God and a sinful man. And spoiler alert, how about that empty grave, right? That needs a little bit more than that. How about that empty grave? Yeah. I just love Jesus. And there's one particular thing I love about Jesus that frankly doesn't get enough airtime, if you ask me. It's the fact that Jesus always seems to know exactly what's his to do. Jesus always seems to know exactly what's on his agenda. And he knows when it's time to give it up. 30 years, he's a carpenter. And then one day, puts the hammer down and he's done. He goes, he heals one person in one part of the village, but he decides not to go to the other part of the village. Years and years, he would visit the temple quietly. And then one day, he goes and flips some tables. How'd Jesus know what was his and what wasn't? I remember when I first started pastoring, I was talking with a friend of mine, Brian, and he said, everybody's going to tell you what they think you should do to be a successful pastor. But you want to know the one thing that you need to do to be a success? Now, I'm intrigued. <laughs> okay, what? And he says, Whatever God tells you to do. That's all Jesus did. And I'd say you can't be more of a success than Jesus. I think he's on to something. First, uh, sorry, in John 4, 34, Jesus says, my food is to do the will of God who sent me. Meaning his very life was sustained by doing whatever God told him to do. Here's what that means. When Jesus was overwhelmed with crowds and at times he needed to pull away for some R&R, you know why he did that? Because it was exactly what God wanted him to do. And Jesus, when he falls asleep in the bottom of a boat when there's a big storm going on, it's because in that moment, the most godly, God-glorifying act Jesus could do at the end of a long day was to take a nap. 
Can I get an amen to that? <laughs> when Jesus was hungry, he ate. When he was tired, he slept. When he was lonely, he invited his friends to stay up a little while longer with him. Jesus was human, and he knew exactly what was his to do. But I have to wonder, how often do you and I struggle with what's ours to do? That question, what's mine to do today, is an enormously important one. Because I don't know if you've noticed it, but everybody is clamoring to tell us what we're supposed to do. Right? Like, everybody, you need to do this, or you need to vote this way, or you need to take this vaccine, or you don't need to take this vaccine, or you need to serve this project, or you don't need to, or you need to change the world, or you need to get out of bed, or you need to stay in home. One thing after the next, after the next. And what I'm saying is, through this endless cacophony of noise, wouldn't it be an absolute gift if you could cut through all of it and know this is mine to do. Nothing more, nothing less, nothing else, just this. Doesn't that sound so absolutely liberating? To know, like, this is it. Well, guess what? We're going to talk about this today. That's what we're going to discuss. To know what is yours to do so you don't keep feeling this sense of worry or this sense of shame if I don't live up to it or guilt if I decided I didn't want it. Like how do you know what's yours? What's the key to that kind of living? That's what we're going to look at. How Jesus did it, how he knew, and how you and I can too. So with that, let's turn to Luke chapter 21. Luke 21, we're going to look at verses 37 and 38. Kind of a piece at a time, we'll work through it, but we'll start by reading the whole thing. Right now, Luke 21, looking at verse 37. Each day, Jesus was teaching at the temple. And each evening, he went out to spend the night on the hill called the, the Mount of Olives. And all the people came early in the morning to hear him at the temple. Now, as it relates to our question of what's mine to do, how Jesus do it, let me show you. It says, in this season of life, of ministry for him, he has this rhythm that's in place. It says, each day he goes to the temple to teach, and it makes sense. After all, that's where the people are, right? Verse 38 told us, like, the people, they come early in the morning. They want to hear what he has to say, so they show up at a temple. That's where Jesus goes. But then we find that after a long day of teaching, Jesus goes to spend the night on the Mount of Olives. And now what do you think he was doing there? Luke gives us a hint in the next chapter. Luke 22, verses 39 and 40. Here's what it says. Jesus went out as usual. Other translations say, as was his custom. This was normal for him. He went as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. And on reaching the place, he said to them, Pray. So praying with his disciples in the evening at the Mount of Olives. This was his custom. This is just what he did. This was par for the course for Jesus. And what a gift it would have been, don't you think, to have been there praying with Jesus. I remember being at a Bible camp, I was maybe somewhere around 13 or 14 years old, and the man preaching was an older gentleman. 
And you could tell that he'd been walking with Jesus for a very long time by the way that he spoke. He had this gentleness. Even though there was a firmness, a conviction, there was a gentleness to his voice. And something would happen. His eyes would light up and his voice would begin to tremble whenever the name Jesus crossed his lips. And after one of the teaching sessions, I went back to my cabin to put my Bible away. And then I saw this preacher running fiercely to his bunk that was in the room next to mine. Now, I don't think he knew that anyone was around, but he did something I'll never forget. He threw himself onto the bed, and he's just sprawled out, weeping. And all I could make out in between the sobbing was him saying, God, help them see you. Help them know you. Help them believe. And he would pound the bed with his fist, practically gasping for breath in between all of his crying. And I'll tell you, I learned something about preaching that day. And I remember thinking how incredible it was to hear someone who so loved the Lord and who walked with him so faithfully for years pray. How much more to have heard the Son of God who since eternity past communed deeply with the Father hear him pray, what would that have been like? And so that's how Jesus did it. Sometimes he'd preach and sometimes he'd pray. Sometimes he'd go to the temple. Sometimes he'd lodge at the Mount of Olives. Sometimes he'd hang with the crowds and sometimes he'd pull away and just hang out with his disciples. But how did he know, right? Like how did he know it was okay to do this and not this or to do this here but not this there? And like how did he know what to do? It's because he prayed. And in prayer, Jesus sought and learned and then put into action his Father's will. It's when Jesus prayed, Luke 3 tells us, that the heavens were opened and a voice came from heaven saying, this is my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. Like, did you notice Jesus hadn't done a single ounce of public ministry up until that point in time? And yet it was through prayer that he knew in a foundational way just who he was in God. What I'm saying is, if you're wondering and looking for security in your identity, then pray. It's when Jesus prayed, Luke 11 tells us, that one of his disciples come up to him and they say, Lord, teach us to pray. See, Jesus didn't have to market himself. He didn't have to pay money to social media to try and become an influencer. He prayed. And as he prayed, people came up and they said, we want to learn from you. If you want to teach others, and you want to mentor others, and you're wondering why in the world don't people want to learn from me, what I'm saying is pray. It's when Jesus prayed all night long, Luke 6 tells us, that he calls his disciples the next morning to himself, and he selects the 12 apostles. Because Jesus took so seriously the question of who would carry forward the legacy of the gospel when he was gone. So if you want to know who's going to carry the torch of faith forward and where you should be investing your greatest years of life now pouring into them, the question is, let's pray, right? One more. It's when Jesus prayed, 
In that dark hour of Gethsemane, on the night that he's betrayed, Luke 22 tells us that an angel comes from heaven and strengthens him. And if you're facing an hour of fiery trial, I'm telling you, pray. Pray, pray, and may God strengthen you for this hour. So what's mine to do? Should I be a carpenter? Should I walk on water? Should I heal this blind man? Should I die on the cross? Whatever the question and season before him, Jesus prayed, and then he went and did all the Father gave him. In essence, what I want us to consider is, okay, so he prayed, right? That's good. That's good and all. Great. Okay, prayer answer. Yeah, that's the answer. It's on the school answer. We pray. That's the answer. That's the answer. How? <laughs> right? <laughs> like, that's great. I pray too, but I don't hear from God like Jesus did. Well, there's this particular way that Jesus prayed, and I want to break it down for us real quick. He chose to be with God. With, okay, W-I-T-H, with. And what I want to do quickly is break down Jesus' process for being with God in prayer in this four-part acronym. Four parts to it. I'm just going to walk through it quickly. Here's the first. And then after we look at these four parts, we're going to just do a case study on Jesus to see how he did this himself. Okay, here we go. First, W, withdraw. Withdraw. This is about getting away regularly from the people and the noise around you. See, one of the reasons that we have trouble knowing what's ours to do is because the world is noisy, right? There should be more nodding in this room. My kids are noisy. My family's noisy. The TV is noisy. My phone is noisy. <laughs> like, there is a lot of noise, and I haven't even gotten to people outside of my home yet. One of the reasons we can't know what's ours to do is because we're so distracted by all the noise. But it's not just the noise of our outer world, right? We withdraw because there's noise around us, but there's also noise in our inner world. And that's what the second step is about. I investigate. I investigate. See, now that we've withdrawn, we can begin to peel back the layers and listen deeply with discernment. Because again, the noise of the outside world is bad, but we need to take stock of the noise in the world within. What's going on in my heart? What's clamoring within me? What expectations, what fears, what desires are at play within us? Because here's the thing. The reason the outside noise in the world, whether it's a harsh criticism or an expectation that's placed on you, whatever it might be, I'm telling you, it's only so noisy as it is echoing something deep in you. That's what gives it its power. There's something inside that needs to be called out for what it is. You need to own that. We need to call it by name. We need to bring it before the Lord. But it's always going to call the shots until we can identify what it is inside of us that's giving so much weight to the noise on the outside. But it doesn't stop there. Therapy will get you that far, but there's another piece. T, tune. This is about tuning our hearts to the voice of truth. Tuning our hearts to the voice of truth. Now that we've identified the, the storm of noise within, this is about allowing the word of Christ through scripture and by his spirit and community to come in and calm the storm. This is about letting the voice of God be the one that guides and directs us where we go. 
And finally, H, heart, as in take heart. Take heart. After we've taken the time to withdraw from the noise around us, investigated the noise within, tuned our souls to the sound of his voice, then we can re-enter our world with a sense of renewed strength, ready to join in and fight another day by taking heart. So quick review, with, right? Withdraw, investigate, tune, and take heart. This is what it looks like to be with God in prayer and then discover for ourselves, as Jesus did, what's ours to do and what isn't. So we can do his will, nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. There's a great example of this that plays out in the Garden of Gethsemane. Luke 22, I want you to look at this with me. Luke 22, Jesus is praying, as was his custom like we saw before. And verse 41 picks up saying, Jesus, what? He withdrew, there it is. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond his disciples, and he kneels down to pray. So there it is. He withdraws, and as he's kneeling down there praying, he goes in verse 42. He says, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. This cup. Do you hear him? He's investigating. He's identifying something that's going on inside. He can perceive the sorrows of the cross. He can see the entire ordeal laid out before him. And he's like, God, if there's any way, please, would you take this away? Have you ever been this honest with God before? Have you ever wondered if it's okay to be this honest with God? Apparently, Jesus shows us not only is it okay, but it's in fact right. So Jesus has withdrawn, he's investigated, and then T, tune. Look at this. What does he pray next? Verse 42 continues, yet not my will, but yours, God, be done. What's happening here is he's saying, okay, God, I know that you've heard me. You've, you've seen my heart. You know what's going on inside me. And I also know that I've heard you. And if this is what you're asking me to do, then I'll do it. Not my will, but your will be done. And finally, verse 43 reads that an angel from heaven appears to him and strengthens him. And that's about taking heart. He's been given the strength to take heart. And wouldn't you know it that when it came to the cross, Jesus took heart, didn't he? I don't think it's just because he prayed one time like this. It's because this was an entire lifestyle of prioritizing this act of regularly taking time to be with God by withdrawing and investigating and tuning and taking heart. So what's mine to do? Jesus did it. And he knew it, but how? He prayed. And it's the very same for us, but will we take the invitation to join him in prayer? See, I want you to notice something rather striking in our passage this morning, something Luke doesn't include in chapter 21. See, we've, we've, uh, we've seen how during the day Jesus went to teach in the temple, and then at night he goes to pray on the Mount of Olives. But look at what verse 38 in Luke 21 does not include. Here's what it says, but look at what it doesn't say. And all the people came early in the morning to hear Jesus at the temple. Period. Do you see what's missing? 
Jesus is teaching in the morning. He's praying in the evening. The people come to hear him teach in the morning. But nothing is said of whether or not they join him in prayer later. Morning teaching, everybody shows up. But evening prayer, crickets. Jesus' life is wide open, right? Like people want to meet him in the streets, he's there. They want to see him in the temple, he's there. They want to see him in the garden praying, oh wait, no one shows up for that. The people are totally fine with miracle worker Jesus. They love teacher, preacher Jesus. But the moment it's an invitation to a prayer meeting, crickets, right? Who shows up for that? I cannot help but make the connection. How often is this the case for us? How often are we the same way? We love Jesus for what he can do. We love Jesus for what he says. But do we love Jesus? Period. Do we love just being with Jesus? Just spending time with Jesus? Like in no other context will a relationship survive if it's all about what we can get from the other person. And so what deludes us into thinking this kind of relationship with Jesus is going to pan out? Jesus goes off to pray, will we follow him? Will we choose to be with him? Or do we just want him for what he says and for what he can do for us? You know, it's fascinating. The disciples... If you think about this, in all the Gospels, the disciples never once asked Jesus how to preach. But they asked him how to pray. And yet, I'll own it. In the world of church planting and the world of pastoral ministry, whew, I'll tell you, it sounds a lot more like the American pastor in the 1800s who traveled across the Atlantic to visit a man by the name of Charles Spurgeon. Spurgeon was pastoring a church in downtown London that grew to be one of the largest churches in all of history with over 10,000 weekly attenders during a time where mega churches were absolutely unheard of. And so this American pastor, I could pretend it's my name, Peter, goes to show up to learn the secret of Spurgeon's success. He's certain it's got to be the preaching. It, it, it's got to be the outreach, something. What is it? Break it down for me. Teach me the steps. Show me how to do it. Well, the organ is blaring. The people are singing. Spurgeon walks the man downstairs and opens the door to the church basement and shows him 300 people on their faces praying while the service is taking place upstairs. It turns out Spurgeon rarely preached a sermon anywhere without knowing that there were hundreds of people on their faces pleading for God to do what only he can do. The disciples never asked Jesus how to preach, but they asked him how to pray. Would we? Would we be like the disciples and discover similarly as Jesus did what is ours to do, right? And then would we do it? <laughs> nothing else, nothing more, nothing less. What's mine to do and how can I know? 
Now, I'm going to make an assumption here. And the assumption is this. By and large, I have found the majority of Christians hearing a message like this are usually thinking, Peter, I am interested. You've got my attention, but I don't know how. Cute little acronym, withdraw, Ident- okay, what, but what does that mean? Like, how do I actually do this, right? So here's, if that's the assumption, here, what does this look like in real life? So he, assuming this is you, here's what we're going to do with the rest of our time. I'm going to break down for you a prayer tool that I have used for almost seven years now. And I'm going to break down the entire process beginning to end with the time that we have left so that you can put this into practice for yourself if you would choose to. And although nothing can replace the power of a daily prayer discipline, I'm telling you, think of this as something more supplemental, interventional. It does like a seasonal deep dive. Uh, I like to use it once a month, but you could use it once every other month. You get the idea. But hear me, and I mean no hyperbole or exaggeration when I say this. This tool has single-handedly been the most consistently transformative practice in my life consistently transformative. And so I want to share it with you. Here's the flow. You may want to write this down or take a picture of it. Am I in the way? Should I do this? Is that a little better? <laughs> but you want to take a look at, at that. Write it down. I'll, I'll walk us through it in a moment. But basically, you're going to block out, if you've done the math, it's about four hours. You block out four hours of time. I like to set alarms on my phone so that the alarms go off and I'm not sitting staring at a clock but it kind of walks me through each section. So now I'm just gonna explain each part in a second, but for now, let's just go through the flow. It's 30 minutes of data dump, 30 minutes of worshiping through song, 30 minutes of walking through nature, 60 minutes of scripture reading, 75 minutes of working through these particular 10 questions and and other things that I'll I'll get to in a moment. And then lastly, it ends up with a 15-minute debrief with somebody. So that's the flow. And as you can see, it's about time with Jesus, which is why the first thing we have to do is withdraw. Maybe it's a park. And again, you use this as often as you want. Monthly is a good practice for me. Once a month, I go to a quiet place. It could be a quiet chair outside. It could be a stretch of land. It could be a, a, a church, something. You go someplace quiet to be alone with God. And then secondly, investigate. That's what the data dump is all about. Data dump is basically, I I take 30 minutes to write everything that comes into my mind. 30 full minutes, and I just keep writing it down. If it's uh, secret sins, I write it down. If it's decisions before me, I write it down. If it's uh, people's names, deadlines, all that stuff, things I'm dreading, I just write it all down. Uh, For 30 full minutes, that's a lot of writing. You'd be amazed how much you can write in 30 minutes. (laughs) But you just write it all down, and the idea is to let the paper bear the weight and show you what's been weighing you down in your heart. So 30 minutes of data dump. Then I let the paper hold the weight and I set it aside. And there are times that I get stuck in my 30 minutes and I, you know, I can't think of anything. So I start to pray the last two verses of Psalm 139, which says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. And chances are, before I finish praying that, the Lord surfaces a few more things that need to go on that sheet of paper. Then I worship through song. 
Either I have my guitar with me or I find a piano somewhere and I'll just start playing and singing. It may be songs that I know. Maybe I'll open up to the book of Psalms and just kind of start like improvising a song out of it. But it's just a time of singing to the Lord. And if you're here and you're like, but I'm not musical, Peter, what can I do? Well, you heard of Spotify or a CD player? We have Walkmans, those still exist, you know. (laughs) Uh, But whatever it is, like, you know, listen to some music and let the song sing over you and join in and sing with it at the same time. But it's just a time of getting to praise the Lord without the weight of the, uh, the data dump sheet holding me down. Now, this is beginning to move into the time of tuning our heart to know our Father's voice, which leads us then to the nature walk. This is just 30 minutes of walking around in creation and letting creation preach the gospel to you. I don't know if you know this, but Martin Luther, uh, the reformer, put it this way. He said, our Lord has written the promise of resurrection, not in books alone, but in every leaf in springtime. There is something to walking by a tree and seeing new life bud on the branches that does something in my heart. There is something to walking next to a hundred-year-old oak tree, endured all the storms of the last century, and be like, my little storm is not that big of a deal. This tree's weathered a lot more than me. Romans 1 says, Paul says this, he says, uh, the invisible attributes of God are clearly displayed in the world that he has made because creation has been preaching the gospel a long time. So go for a walk with open eyes and open heart and be ready to listen. And then I spend 60 minutes in the Bible, not a Bible app. I don't need a distraction of my phone, (laughs) just a physical Bible. And I just read. Now I'm going to be upfront with you. I'm not working on a sermon during this time. I'm not catching up on my reading plan. I just, I just want to open my Bible and say, Lord, what do you have for me? What do you want me to read here? And sometimes he'll, uh, he'll send me to the epistles. I'll read Philippians really slowly from beginning to end. Or maybe it's an Old Testament prophetic book like Jonah or Amos. Sometimes it's even a gospel like the, the gospel of Luke and just read it slowly. And without fail, I'm telling you, without fail, God has spoken specifically to something on my data dump sheet that had been tripping me up. Without fail. And it's such a powerful time, but it's just about spending time with God and letting him be the one who speaks and tune my heart to his voice. Then I pull out these 12 questions. Look at this. Next slide, please. Okay, so... These 10 questions, I'll, I'll tell you, it might be hard to keep up. I'm just going to kind of rattle through them quickly. If you need, uh, either take a picture of it now or email me at peter at heartoflife.org, peter at heartoflife.org, and I will send you this list if you need it that way too. But basically, here are the 10 questions. What is my single greatest strength? I'll start with that because God has gifted us to do something And he's usually given us particular gifts. So what is that? That already starts to narrow the focus of what's mine to do. Yeah, I can operate outside of that, but he's gifted me in a certain way. Let me start there. Then secondly, what three decisions are causing me stress? Three decisions. Maybe there's 10, but start with three. (laughs) What are three decisions? If you're not sure, look at your data dump sheet, because chances are you wrote it down there, right? (laughs) Next, what tasks and duties and responsibilities or situations are overwhelming me? Four, what impassable roadblocks have me stuck? Five, if I could do only three things before I die, what would I want to do? Keep going. Number six, what committees and roles should I resign from or drop out of? 
I think it was Peter Drucker who said, efficiency is doing things right. Effectiveness is doing the right things. Number seven, what deadlines and decisions can I postpone? Number eight, put together then a to-do list, really a what's mine to-do list of the remaining things from the data dump sheet. Number nine, what things on my list now can someone else do at least 80% as well as me that I can then help train them the rest of the way and I can delegate the task to them and train them at the same time. And lastly, who can I invite to join me in accomplishing the rest of my to-do list? There may be some people who this is an opportunity to disciple them. I've got a list of things I need to do and I'm gonna invite you to help me with a couple of them. That's the idea. So again, this may seem overwhelming. Try not to get so caught up in answering all the questions perfectly. They're more of a springboard, really. Uh, The first five questions kind of help jog our mind to get it focused. The last five deal more with processing our data dump sheet and working through uh, seriously until we're left with basically a tangible what's mine to-do list for the next month or whatever it might be. You know, what to do, what not to do, and all that. And then it's about actually doing it. So you got to put that in your calendar, right? You've got to write down, this activity needs to be done by this day. This, sometimes the takeaway for an item is just to pray for it. That's a win. Because now I've realized that I don't need to worry about this thing anymore. God's got it. So I'm just going to put it in his hands. That's not mine to do. Worry is not mine to do. But maybe there's other things on the list, like maybe I need to talk to somebody and have a hard conversation. I need to put that on the list. By this date, I want to talk to this person. Or on this date, we're going to meet up and have coffee, whatever it might be. Other times, you just start crossing things off the list that you realize, I actually don't need to worry about that anymore. I don't need to think about that anymore. Just cross it off the list. Cross it off the list. But whatever the case, the the schedule piece and the execute. Schedule piece is basically um, you want to put those things in your calendar. Because if it's not in your calendar, it's not in your life, right? But secondly, the execute is about sending the text messages or the phone calls or the emails that you need to to get the ball rolling on some of these things. Hey, let's grab coffee. Or, hey, I'm thinking we got to meet up. There's some serious stuff we got to talk about. Whatever it might be, get the ball rolling that way. Lastly, 15 minutes debrief. Here's what that is. At the end, this is where you set up a time to talk with somebody and debrief with them all the things that you heard God say. This is as much about accountability as it is affirmation. Because sometimes at the end of my retreat, I need to call someone and say, hey, I think I'm hearing X, Y, Z. And they can say, hey, X and Y are right, but your Z is all the way off. (laughs) And that's okay. But sometimes it's, hey, you said X, Y, Z. Let's make sure that you actually do it this time. And I'll be be your source of accountability to get it done because that's going to be really tough to do. So debrief is so important. It could be a spouse, it could be a mentor, it could be a friend. But if you don't have anyone that you feel like you could share this with, shoot me an email. Peter at heartoflife.org. Shoot me an email. Tell me everything that you learned in your prayer retreat, and I am happy to process that with you. It's that important that you have somebody to process that with. Okay, so there you go. There it is. Uh, Now here's my big uh, request, my ask of everyone. You ready? Today, look at your calendar over the next month of time and block out four hours of time to do this. Today, before the day is out, look at your calendar 
over the next four and some weeks, the next 30 days, and budget four hours, a chunk of four hours to do this. Now I can imagine some of you might be thinking, four hours, really? That's a lot of office episodes. <laughs> Just kidding. No, four hours, are you serious? Do you know how busy I am, Peter? Do you understand what you're asking? Now believe me, I get it, I really do. I'm not saying you do this every month. I'm just saying you do it once. A four-hour chunk of time, sometime in the next month, you get to choose. Because I'm not asking you to give up your time. What I'm asking us all to consider is this. What other better use of time is there than this? Than to know this is what God has for me to do. And I'm going to do it. And I'm not going to worry for the next several weeks about what anything, anyone else says, this is what God has for me. What other better use of time is there? Now, after all, like, have you ever noticed the more time you spend with someone, the more you start to look like them? You can see this even with dogs and their owners. Take a look at this. Look at that. This guy right here. Come on. This also seems to happen in close relationships like friendships and marriage, where the more time you spend with a person, the more you start catching some of their traits. You know, like you spend time with an individual who's really joyful or patient, and all of a sudden you start emulating some of those beautiful characteristics yourself. So wouldn't it make sense that the more time we spend with Jesus, the more we start to look like him too? As was his custom, it says withdrawing away, investigating the layers of his heart, tuning and retuning his ears to the sound of the Father's voice, and then taking heart to live another day in the world. So withdraw, investigate, tune, heart. And if you want to know somebody, you want to talk about somebody who has heart, look at Jesus, right? Because I don't know if you caught it, but this same Mount of Olives that he would go to night after night, week after week, all leading up to the time of his crucifixion, it was the very place where that terrible night of his betrayal and arrest would occur. Like, yet we see that he goes there willingly, fully knowing the difficulty ahead of all the possible places a man could pray. He's like, this is where I need to be because this is where it's gonna happen. And I need to be with God here in this dark place. Talk about heart. Talk about grit. Don't you want to meet with somebody like that? And maybe catch a little of his heart for yourself. So make the choice today. Block out four hours in your calendar this month, anytime this month, prioritize this, learn from Jesus, be with Jesus and watch him shape his heart in you so that you would walk confidently in what's yours to do. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you that we have one who has gone before us, Jesus Christ. He is not someone who calls us to something that he himself would never do. No, he goes before us as, his exa as our example. 
And so thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the empty grave. But we thank you too, Lord, for the ways in which he chooses to be with us in any place. And so would you foster within us, create in us, instill in us a desire to be with him in every place. This week, Lord, I, this, really today, Lord, I pray that you would press seriously this request that we would take time to be with you into the hearts of all and that ultimately, God, we would see you. This is not about a system of prayer. This is not about some structure. This is about you. And so I pray that we would prioritize our relationship with you and that we would leave knowing what's ours to do, nothing more, nothing less nothing else. We pray this in Jesus' most beautiful name. Amen.